All right, everybody, grab your Bibles. Go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God. I've got three verses for you. I've got three verses for you, and then I'm going to let you be seated. I know God has been moving. We've been standing a lot, but you're going to be quarantined in your house for like the next nine years. So you need a little exercise. Amen. We stand for the reading of the Word because we believe that Jesus is the Word of God. Amen. How many of y'all believe that this morning? We a Bible-believing church? If you don't believe the Bible, you will before this is over. If not, we have really good coffee and cookies. Just make yourself at home and keep coming back. 1 Kings chapter 18, two verses, verse 20 and 21. Here's what the Bible says. Ahab summoned the people of Israel and the prophets. Everybody say, and the prophets. To Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver? Look at your neighbor. Say, How much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. How much longer are you going to waver? Hobbling back and forth between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow Him. It's as simple as that. How much longer are we going to argue? How much longer are we going to theologize? I just made up a word. Just go with it. How much longer are we going to be religious? How much longer are we going to be denominational? How much longer are we going to be traditional? How much longer are we going to hobble between two opinions? If God is God, let, let me. how much longer are we going to hobble between God's wisdom and our pride? Ooh. We think we know it all, don't we? That ain't even the sermon. Let me get on off that. If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. God is here today giving you a choice. There's no longer any reason to go back and forth. There's no longer to be one foot in, one foot out. If He's God, follow Him. If He's not, cool. Go follow something else. But if He is God, follow Him. And I love this last part, but all the people were completely silent. That's how it is a lot of time when God gives us a choice. Because we've been so convinced by religion that God just wants to tell us what to do and what not to do. That when he actually gives us a choice, we don't even know what to do with it because we're expecting him to rain down fire and brimstone from heaven because we watched Family Guy and thought that was God. We went to entertainment to find out who God is and we thought he was judgmental we thought that God was mean and and hated sinners and and hated people that didn't agree with him and so we're like no he's given me a choice but this is all a trick question no how much longer are you going to hobble between two opinions wavering back and forth being tossed about by every wind of doctrine chasing every new Christian trend chasing every new book that comes out and they put on the Lifeway bookstore because they had to close all the real bookstores don't get me started on economics today. <laughs> How much longer are we going to fight with where God has taken us trying to chase our own wisdom? Father, right now, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to your word. We ask that your word would come alive in every one of us. Take root in us today, God, and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everybody said, y'all can be seated. Today, I'm preaching part three of our baptism series. 
And I'm simply titling today's sermon, An Altar. Everybody say an altar. A baptism and a fire. An altar, a baptism, and a fire. Did y'all enjoy watching David get baptized this morning during worship? Oh, my God. I love when people get baptized, and I love the fact that we do baptism right during the middle of worship because it makes it so less ceremonial and makes it so much more fun and engaging. Let me tell you a little bit real quick, and, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but David is my friend, and I just, if he wasn't my friend, I just spent almost two weeks with him on, in an overseas trip. I got to know David really, really well. But today is a very special day in my friend David's life. Because today, 40 years ago today, on the side of his bed, David committed his heart to God. And today is the 40th birthday of him finding salvation. That's pretty awesome. I mean, what a way, what a way to celebrate, to, to be rebaptized into the name of Jesus. Amen. But, but he felt, it, after going through last Sunday's sermon, he really felt God tugging on his heart saying, it's time to take another step and go deeper. And let me just tell you, if you're here today, maybe you've been water baptized, maybe you never have, maybe you were baptized as a baby and you want to do this because you're choosing this. All of that is totally fine. We want you to know we've got all the resources that you need today to be water baptized. We've got t-shirts, and when the sermon's over, all you got to do is just wave your hand and say, I want to get water baptized. We'll sing until you get wet and get out and get dried off and get warmed up. Because we believe in baptism. Amen. We started this series at the beginning of March, calling it baptism, and we're, we're diving into water baptism, but we're also diving into all of the aspects of what baptism is. We're, we're literally peeling back the layers of what baptism is so that we can see, it, because if we understand what it is, then we understand why every one of us, everybody say, that means me. Y'all didn't say that with as much excitement as you have been saying things. All of us need baptism we need the baptism of repentance amen that's where salvation happens then we need a water baptism amen somebody else can't be water baptized for you in the same way that someone else cannot be repented for you you've got to repent for yourself you've got to be water baptized yourself then we go through the baptism of discipleship that that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness every believer needs to be discipled because you don't find salvation and suddenly know everything that you're supposed to know that would be great. Some of us think that because we're already pretty convinced that the sound of our own voice is amazing. But when we find salvation, that's when the learning begins. Amen? The learning, that discipleship is so important. And then there's that fourth aspect of baptism, that baptism of fulfillment. That's where the Holy Spirit baptizes us and fills us inwardly and fills us outwardly. And we're completely surrounded by the very breath and the character of who our God is. And that's where life comes alive. Amen? And so somebody would say, well, Pastor, I only need that repentance. Well, then you've stopped way, way back in the journey. There's more for you. And today we're going into part three. We, we've dived into what baptism is. And today I, I just simply want to talk about an altar, a baptism, and a fire. We went into the Old Testament, into 1 Kings, and we started hearing about a king named Ahab. And if you spend any time in the house of God at Sunday school, going to catechism, or maybe even just going through like Bible camp or something, you've heard about King Ahab because King Ahab was one of those strategic kings in the Old Testament. He, he was 
one of the ones who was the continuation of a long reign of evil in God's people's history. In fact, his father, Omri, the Bible says, was one of the worst kings that had ever ruled over God's people. In fact, up to this point, the Bible says Omri was more evil than all the other kings preceding him put together. The reason is because Omri broke down the barrier of separation between God's people and the world in which they lived. Oh, somebody hear me this morning. King Omri intentionally made the lines blurry. Maybe he was the one that sang that song originally. Don't act like you haven't heard blurred lines. But Omri did some evil things, and Omri had a child. Some of you are like, I've never heard blurred lines. Then you're saved. God bless you. <laughs> Ahab was the son of Omri, and the Bible says that Ahab picked up where his father left off and where Omri had been evil. Ahab said, I got you, Dad. I see you're evil, and I raise you. Where Omri had tolerated worship to Baal, and Omri had tolerated worship to Asherah. Ahab said, I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to marry myself to the daughter of a prophet of Baal. Someone who claims to be a priestess of the pagan god Baal. Is this okay if we do a little Sunday school this morning? Learn a little bit about what's in the Bible. And Ahab literally joins himself. The Bible would call this unequally yoked together. But Ahab, who was a king that God had appointed because of the lineage and the covenant and the commitment God had made, Ahab joined himself with, with a priestess of a pagan god. Baal is the pagan god of lust and pride and self-sufficiency and self-knowledge and self-control, not like having control of yourself, like self-governance is a better way to put it. And Baal says, no, I'm greater. Baal says, when you get close to me, you all, all you have to do is look within to see the power within. Sound familiar? Turn inward and then you'll find the answers. This, this, this is the doctor of Baal. And, and Ahab says, no, I'm going to bring this in not only into the kingdom, I'm going to bring this into the place of authority in the kingdom. But I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to even bring self-worship and self-intelligent worship. And humanism is what we call it today. I'm going to bring it into the temple. And we're going to worship self in the temple of God. Jezebel was one of the, the worst queens that has ever been in God's history. In fact, there, there's a rebellious individual in, in the book of Revelation that Jesus is speaking to John and he says, you need to go tell the pastor of that church to go find that Jezebel. That was not the lady's name. That was just a, a person who was taking on the characteristics of rebellion and self-governance and, and trying to push it around because you see what Jezebel does, Jezebel likes to push against authority. Somebody hear me this morning. I'm not coming for you. I'm, I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. Be careful when you push back on godly authority because you may not know what you're messing with. God raises up authorities and God tears down ungodly authorities. Amen? 
So this is who, who Ahab is. Let me just say it to you like this because this is a truth that all of us need to hear. When idolatry is tolerated, God's provision is halted. When idolatry is tolerated in our lives, God's provision stops. You say, I, I hear the preacher and, and the rest of the congregation talking about how God meets all their needs. And that we hear that scripture, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. But I don't feel like that's applying to me. Let me ask you this. Are you tolerating idolatry? Is this okay this morning? Like I did, I got out during the middle of coronavirus and came to church and you're preaching to me about idolatry. Hang on, we're going somewhere. Got to lay a little foundation. Ahab and, and Jezebel led God's people away from him. Ahab and Jezebel led God's people literally in, in a prison of humanism, led them away from even acknowledging God. And God said, these are my people, and I'm going to get their attention, so I'm going to halt my provision. And Elijah came to Ahab and he said, because of your evil, it's not going to rain. In fact, it, there's not even going to be dew on the ground in the morning until God gives me the word. Because where idolatry is tolerated, God's provision stops. And the Bible tells us that it did not rain for three years. Like, we go to the store today and we can't find toilet paper and we think it's bad. It didn't rain for three years. Wake up in the morning and there is no dew on the ground. Wake up in the morning and it's dry as corn shucks. After some point... Things begin to crack. After some point, structures begin to get weak. Because when all the moisture is sucked out, structures begin to weaken. Y'all with me? Things that we've depended on start falling apart when the provision of God starts to be halted. The things that we've trusted in stop having all the strength and the fulfillment in them. Because we're starting to realize just how powerful the presence of God is when he says, let me pull that back for a second. It's okay this morning. Let's go right back to our verse. 1 Kings 18, 20 and 21. Ahab summoned all the people. All the people, all the congregation, all the community, and the prophets. Who are the prophets that, that he was... These were not God's prophets, by the way, because Ahab and Jezebel had already put out the word that all prophets were going to be killed. And a man who worked for the king named Obadiah, he took a hundred of the prophets and he hid them so that Ahab could not get to them. And then God hid Elijah. Elijah was like the cat daddy of all the prophets during that day and age. Ahab hated him. Because here's the deal, rebellion always hates when a voice of authority begins to be spoken. Rebellion can't stand it. Somebody whose, whose life is out of authority can't stand for a godly man or woman to begin to speak godly truth. Because then that rebellion, that, that Jezebel spirit, that self-governance spirit, because you can't tell me what to do. The man of God came in and he spoke and, and Jezebel said, kill him. And Ahab said, yes, ma'am, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Just don't make me sleep on the couch again. That was a freebie, by the way. And Ahab began to kill the prophets. So the prophets that he had brought to meet Elijah here in verse 20 were not the prophets of God. They were the prophets of Baal. 
Ahab brings God's people and he brings this perversion of religious thought in and he brings them together. And Elijah stands in front of them and says, hey guys, how much longer are we going to fight God? How much longer are we going to waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, let's just simply follow him. If he's not, let's go do something else. Because life would be easier if we would just make a flipping choice. We wonder why there's so much apprehension and so much anxiety in our life. Allow me to pastor just for a second. We wonder why it feels so just, ah. you got to understand you are God called. He purchased you with his own life. He robed himself in flesh and stretched himself wide to buy your freedom. And when a spirit of humanity and a spirit of evil begins to rise up and push back on the authority of God, God says, no, I want you. You can't expect your life to be comfortable while you're being pulled apart in every direction. Let, let, let me just say, not because I'm mad at you, because I ain't mad at nobody. You came to church during the middle of coronavirus. I love you. You're my best friends. Stop fighting God. If he's God, let's follow him. Let, let, me, let me just say this. I know there are rules that we need to follow during this period of time. But is Jesus Christ the healer? Or is he just another snake oil salesman? Is he just another person with a late night TV show where for five payments in 1995 you can get a special elixir that will cure? No, is he God? Is he the creator or is he not? Is he the one who spoke the worlds into existence or is he just some religious figure from ancient times? If he's God, let's follow God instead of following the trend of the world. Let's not hobble between two opinions. Well, I believe in God, but you know, like that, that whole Noah's Ark thing, like really? Because here's the deal. If you don't even believe that God can preserve a man and his family and a certain number of animals, you're not going to believe that God can go, the virus is over. And you'll start living in fear for the rest of your life. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I wrote this sermon like three weeks ago. I didn't know what was going to happen. But somebody needs to hear me. You're living in anxiety because you don't even know who your God is. And you're hobbling, wavering back and forth trying to figure out, should I just be like a, a normal human or should I be a blood-bought child of God? Make the decision. Because life's going to get a heck of a lot better when you simply choose one side or the other. Let me give you three ways real quick. Y'all ready? Take some notes. Three ways to overcome idolatry in your life. You're going to know there's idolatry in your life if there's any opinion that you elevate higher than God. You're going to know that you have idolatry in your life if there's any theology that you elevate above God. Well, I thought theology was God. No. Theology is man's opinion about God trying to understand God. Theology actually goes beyond the Word of God. You'll know you have idolatry in your life if there's anything in your life that has more importance than God. Let me show you three ways to overcome that. Number one, you need to listen to God's voice. Everybody say listen. Sometimes to listen, you've got to close your mouth. 
Sometimes to listen, you got to close your mouth and open up your ears to hear that still small voice because he's not going to yell. He's going to speak silently. I don't know how to hear God's voice. When's the last time you got into this? This is God's voice. Well, the, the Holy Spirit is speaking something to me. Good. Where does it line up with this? Because the spoken word will never go above the written word. Because the written word is the character of God revealed. Oh, don't make me preach up in here. The spoken word is great. I am so glad that you're getting words from God. But before you come tell me what God has told you in the silence of your life, go run it by what he already said. Because if it doesn't line up with here, I don't want to hear it. And in fact, if it doesn't line up with this, you don't need to say it to anybody. So first, listen to God's voice and not the outside influence. That's the first way to overcome idolatry in your life. This, the second way, this is important. The second way, everybody say second way. You have to confront the idolatry. I can't do that, Pastor. You see, this is who I've been my whole life. This is what my grandmother was. This is what I've always believed. Pastor, this is my political opinion. I can't change it no matter what. This is just my reality. This is just who I am. Or let, let, me, let me say it to all us non-denominational Christians. This is just my struggle. No, you need to confront that. It's not your struggle. Stop owning that crap. That's not from God. Stop owning something he didn't put on you. That's from the enemy. That, that might even be from the enemy that lives between your ears. That's you, by the way. Stop listening to that voice and confront the idolatry. The third way to overcome idolatry in your life is simply this. Make a choice. Because you see this, God is all about you making a choice. He's, he's going to put opportunity out there. He's going to put truth out there. He's going to put love and, a, and, and, and godliness and kindness and gentleness and, and peace and all these other wonderful things. He's going to put them out there and say, now, now choose me. Oh, you're not ready? Okay, I'll just keep putting it out there. But idolatry says, no, do what I say. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare do that, because if you do that, you're going to walk away from all of your generations. Don't you, don't you listen to that man right now. He's saying something you've never, don't you listen. Oh, you read that? Don't you read the Bible. Don't do it. Because idolatry is all about imprisoning you as a believer. God is all about setting you free. So God's going to give you a choice. Idolatry is going to take your choice away from you and say, you've got no choice. But, but if, I, if I follow what's in the Bible, I'll be rejected. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He knows what that feels like. But he says, before you ever get yourself into the trouble, I've already made a way of escape for you. This is okay this morning. You've got to listen to God's voice and not the outside influences. You've got to confront the idolatry. And you've got to make a choice. So let, let me show you some things real quick before we go deeper. 
the worship of Baal had become so prevalent. And I know right now some of you are going like, because y'all remember that we're in a baptism series. Like, what in the world does this have to do with baptism? Hang on, I'll be there. I didn't forget. It's in my notes. I can't get lost. It's right there. The worship of Baal had become so prevalent that everyone began to worship Baal. And here's, here's one of the, the aspects of Baal worship. And this is interesting for, for people that, that they found it inconvenient to go through the process and through not the ceremony, but to go through the drudgery of worship the way that God said. They found it inconvenient to stop by the temple in the morning before they went to work at noon when they were on their lunch break and at night before they went home to be with their family. They found that very inconvenient. They thought it was disgusting to go on the Sabbath day, their one day off, and watch the guys in the funny robes and the goofy hats like kill all these animals for hours and hours. It was disgusting. It stunk. It was gross. It was inconvenient. So Baal worship said, you don't have to do that anymore. The altar doesn't mean anything. You can just take God home with you. In fact, we'll give you a little image that you can set up in your house. You can kneel down in front of it. You can, hear me, you can kneel down in front of it. And you can worship God. In fact, if you go on a business trip, you can just pack your God in your suitcase and I know we can't travel much right now, but if you do get to travel again, get to take your God with you. Like they didn't have TV back in the day, but you got to imagine those late night TV commercials. Like used car salesman, get your bail right here. <laughs> Monday, 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 get your bail. You know, just. You don't like the bail that's that size? Well, we'll get you a bail that's another size. You want to wear bail around your neck? That's cool. Get you a wristband with bail on it. Get you a bumper sticker for the back of your car that says, I love bail, and that's okay. Sorry. Jesus wasn't Christian either. I'm just saying. I just wrecked somebody right there. Just come up to me afterwards. I'll explain it. I'm going to make belief so easy. I'm going to encapsulate it for you, and I'm going to make it fit your busy schedule. Because that altar doesn't mean anything. So here's what started happening. Over the centuries and over the time of Baal worship, and then Ahab and Jezebel, they came in, they killed all the people that were speaking truth. And they went to the altar of God, not altars of God. There's only one altar of God. If you want to learn more about that, come back after Easter. We're going to spend a lot of time digging into what that altar is. A little commercial for you there. But they went to the one altar of God that was set up in, in the gates of the tabernacle or the gates of the temple, and they said, this is very, very, very inconvenient because Baal's altar won't fit next to this. What they didn't realize is that God won't share his glory with anyone. So they pushed God's altar down 
And they built an altar to humanism in the place where they should have built an altar to the one true living God. And they begin to worship self and self-governance and self-intelligence and self-reliance and pride. They sold themselves out to everything that Baal was. All the ideas. They sold themselves out to education. They sold themselves out to career. They sold themselves out to just time at home alone. They sold themselves out to self. Let me show you what the man of God is. Is this okay this morning? I'm literally almost done. I know you don't believe it, but I am. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 18. We're going to pick up in verse 30 here in a second. I'm going to give you four things real quick that Elijah did, that if we will learn this lesson, God will change some radical things in our life. Y'all ready? Here we are. First thing, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. Let me show you how he did this. Verse 30, Elijah called the people. Okay, He calls the people to him after he had already told Ahab, you get all the prophets of Baal, and we're going to let them do their thing. All day long, from morning until night, they worshipped the God of self. They cut themselves for the God of self. They marked themselves for the God of self. They danced, they gyrated, they spoke their incantations. They did all the things, and the whole time, you, you take some time today, go back and read 1 Kings 18. Elijah is burly. He's like, maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he went on a cruise because nobody else is on a cruise right now. Maybe that's where Baal went. And he's making fun of the whole time. And he's messing with them. And all day long, and they finally wear out. At some point in your life, your adoration of self is going to come face to face with the reality that you can't rely anything on yourself. You can't provide anything on your own. One of these days, you will find out that the power that lives in you that you think is you is jacked up. One of these days, you'll come to grips with the reality that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. One of these days, you'll wake up to the fact that you've been baptized, which means you came out of the water in your father's name. Y'all remember last Sunday? Not in some title. I came out in the name of my Father, which means I take on the identity of my Father. I put on my Father like I'm putting on new clothes. I am not what I was. I am a child of God. And you'll start to realize I can't rely on me. I have to keep relying on Him. Elijah called the people. They were tired. Y'all, come over here. He, he was southern. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. The first thing that you're going to have to do if you want to eradicate idolatry out of your life is you're going to have to rebuild the altar of God in your life. You're going to have to realize that no matter how saved and how much you think you know, no, how to, no matter how many writings an ancient church father wrote, you're going to have to move past all of that to the altar of God that God established that said, you can't worship anyone else but me. The next thing that Elijah did 
is Elijah baptized. Y'all thought I forgot about baptism. Elijah baptized the sacrifice. Into verse 32. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar and he cut the bull into pieces and he laid the pieces on the wood. You're like, why? Let me, let, let me just back up real quick show you something. Normally, in a sacrifice to God, you would put the wood on the altar, you would put the sacrifice on the altar, and you would worship God the way that he said worship, and then fire would fall. In Baal worship, you put the wood on the altar, you put the sacrifice on the altar, and you tell everybody, look over there, and you get out your match and you light it. Because there's nothing supernatural in humanism. It's subnatural. And Elijah said, no, you can't do any parlor tricks. The God who answers by fire is the one that will serve. He's making it hard for God. He's messing with humanism because human understanding says, you put water on that, that match is never going to catch. Then he said, Fill four large jars of water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Why water? Because you got to see this. In the Bible, water always represents potential. He's making room. Oh, somebody hear me. He's making room in the situation for God's potential to be activated. When you rebuild that altar, make room for God. Because God will fill every empty space, which is why repentance is so important for every believer. Pastor, do I need to sit with you and tell you what's been going on? No, you do not. My job is just to point you to Jesus. But when you get in the presence of God, bear your soul and confess what you need to him. And he who knows everything will hear you and already provide an answer. It's okay. And after they had done this, he said, do it again. Told you he was Southern. And when they finished, he said, now do it a third time. I don't want it to only be wet. I want it to be sopping. So as they did, as he said, the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Elijah repaired the altar, then he baptized the altar. When's the last time you got saturated in the presence of God? And you uncrossed your arms and let go of your pride and just got wrecked in the presence of God. When's the last time the tears of refreshing poured down your cheeks and you let go of all the hurt and all? The, when is the last time that you said, I am nothing without my God. Take me beyond myself. Elijah baptized the altar. Number three, Elijah returned to God. Everybody say returned. Verse 36, at the usual time for the offering of the evening sacrifice. Notice this, they knew what time it was. They never stopped going through the motions of the ceremony of worshiping God. They just didn't do it on God's altar. They never stopped the ceremonial side. But there was no power and there was no provision because they were offering something to God on an altar that he didn't establish. They knew what time it was. 
It was time for the evening sacrifice. And they're looking around like, what are we going to do? Baal didn't do anything. At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked, walked up to the altar and prayed. Notice this. They had been yammering all day long. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them to yourself. Prove yourself, God. When's the last time you asked God to prove himself to you? Are you afraid that that will offend him? Are you afraid that somebody's going to chastise you for asking God to prove himself in a way that he said in his word, if you ask me, I will prove myself beyond your imagination. I'll do exceedingly above all that you could ever ask or even think. Notice what happens. He didn't, he didn't go into a long, drawn-out ceremony. He just said, hey, God, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Prove it. You say that you can keep me when the world is falling apart? Prove it. You say you can bless me if I put you first, even though the math doesn't make any sense? Prove it. You say that you can heal me even though everything around me says that I can never be? Prove it. You say that you can keep my family even when we don't even really like each other? Prove it. Notice what God, when Elijah said, prove it, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. When you give God an opportunity to prove himself in your life, he will completely consume all the potential that you've made room for. Why do I need to make room for God in my life? Pastor, I am way too busy. You're not making room for God. Remember this. One of the jobs of the enemy in the end times is to wear out the saints. The reason you're busy is the enemy's wearing you out. Sometimes, hear me. I'm going to tick somebody off, but hear me. Sometimes you need to look at your job and say, no. I need some time at home with my family and overtime can wait. Pastor, you don't even understand. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand if you make room for God, He will make a way where there is no way. But, but what if I lose everything? Go talk to Donnie and Veronica. See what happens when you lose everything and you remain faithful. Is God faithful? Is God a keeper? Is He a provider? Does He make a way where there is no way? Does, does he just like intervene and go beyond anything you can imagine? Let me go old school. Is God an on-time God? No, the response is, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Immediately, when you ask God to prove himself, he does not make you wait. Prove it. Immediately, fire fell. I'll just stay in my struggle for the next 15 hours. Stop. Stop yammering. Gird yourself up. 
like a man and a woman of gird yourself up like a child of God. Not some religious flailing that just falls around and is moved. Or, no, stand up and say, I have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. By the way, devil, he's the one who spoke you into existence. By the way, he is the one who flung the stars into space with his voice. Imagine what he can do with his power. Immediately, the fire fell and consumed. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Hey, you're wanting the world to change? You and John Mayer are sitting around waiting on the world to change. It's getting worse, y'all. It's getting bad. They're taking the toilet paper. This week they're going to get the eggs. Don't mess with the preacher's eggs. Let me just tell you. That's my breakfast in the morning. They, they're coming for my eggs, y'all. We're wanting the world to change Meanwhile, the church is intimidated by everything that's happening in the world. No wonder the world doesn't acknowledge God. What would happen if we would say, hey, God, prove it. And the fire of God would begin to fall even in this day, even in this age. Come on, God, prove it. I made room for you. Here's some potential. Here, pour, pour some water. I'm going to pour some water because I know, I know you can work in this. I'm going to baptize it real good. Work, work, God, because I want you to prove it. Maybe the world will change when the church wakes up to who we actually are. Maybe the world will change when the church stops being run around by the nose by our finances and we say we're just going to trust God and I'm going to walk in as if nothing is happening. Maybe we start living radically saved. Pastor, that just sounds weird. No, it sounds awesome. I wish life was different. Start living radically. But what if my family doesn't go, just get radical. They already think you're weird. Show up at Thanksgiving and like pray for them. What, what if everybody turns their back on me? He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will not just be with you. I will be in you. He's got something so much greater for you. Stop being intimidated by self-reliant paganism. Why stand here wavering, hobbling back and forth, getting Pulled apart by yourself and your desire for a living God. You're being pulled apart because you're fighting. Just surrender. Rebuild the altar. Baptize it. And return to God. Fourth thing. Y'all ready? I'm almost done. Elijah removed the idolatry. But why? Why? I've turned to God. Why do I have to remove the idolatry? Let's dig in. Verse 40. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seize them all. And because this is a church and I want you to come back next week, I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end of verse 40. 
But some of y'all need to go to, go read 1 Kings 18, 40b and do that to the voices that are telling you to separate from God. You need to seize all of the idolatry. Don't worry if it's tradition. Don't worry if it's culture. Oh, my God, I just said culture in New Orleans. You know what? This culture sucks. For 400 years, this has been a place that celebrated depravity, piratism, slavery, crime, lasciviousness. What would happen if the church just said, choke it, I ain't doing this no more. Let's seize, you know, oh God, we're going we're gonna to get militant. No. God doesn't need you to be militant. You're not the army of God. You're the child of God. He's got an army. Let them fight. He's already won the battle. He says, hey, take heart. I've already overcome the world. Why are we trying to fight? We need to clean idolatry out of our lives and go back to the altar. Let me close with this. I'm here today in all of my chunky glory. I am here today calling and appealing to you. Make the choice to never settle for what is or what has been. Make the choice to never settle. Because God's got something so much more for you. I don't even know what to do. Here's the, you got to build an altar. you got to baptize it. And then you'll receive the fire. I want the fire! But I don't want to build an altar. You can't have the fire without the altar. They tried. They tried. It didn't happen. Well, I'll build an altar my way. I'll build an altar that's convenient for me. No, no, no. You got to go rebuild the altar that he established. Then you have to saturate it with his potential. And when you do that, the fire is going to fall. Let me give you some next steps. Y'all ready? Take a picture of this on the screen. Write them down, whatever you need to do. First, repair the altar in your life. Pastor, what does that even mean? Here's what you need to do today. In the house of God, you need to say, I'm coming back home to you, God. Maybe somebody's been struggling with pride. You've been listening to your voice so long that you think that your voice is God. No, you need to hear me. You need to say, God, I repent of my pride. I repent of my opinions, and I'm going to release them, and I'm going to rebuild the altar where you move. And I'm going to meet you at that altar, and then baptize your life with God potential, and then return to Jesus in your worship and your lifestyle. I would return to my worship, but it's too loud, Pastor. That's why we give you earplugs. We turn it up loud so no one hears all the people singing off-key. We turn it up loud. Here's the It's all intentional. We make it dark and we turn it up because we want you to get lost in God. And I understand it might be too loud. Put an earplug in, I promise you. Sometimes I do it. But you need to let go of everything that's around you and you need to get lost in worship. When is the last time? Somebody hear me. You had an experience with God and God knocked you around real good and God baptized you with his spirit and you remember what it looked like. But, but as, as you grew in your intelligence in God, all of a sudden that be oh, hear me. When's the last time you reminded yourself how much you actually need him? Saturate yourself in worship to Jesus and in your lifestyle. Don't just be in love with Jesus here. Go love Jesus out there.
They'll look at me funny. It don't matter. Then the fourth thing, remove the idolatry from your life. For some of you, removing that idolatry is going to look different than others. For some of you, it's going to be easy. For some of you, it's like, all right, great. I'm going to stop relying on myself. I'm going to stop listening to... I'm going to stop. For some people, it's easy. But for some people, their idolatry is their life because that's all that they know. We're not here being judgmental. Here's the deal. We're, be, we're here being graceful. But I'm going to speak truth to you. Some of you need to let go of some idolatry that you have elevated above God. Hear me. God will not share His glory with anyone. In the book of Isaiah, he looked around and said, I'm the only one. There is no other. So you don't need to try to go to multiples. You don't need to try to go to someone and have them represent you. To No, you, we don't have a Congress when it comes to God. Individual, come boldly before the throne of grace and make your petition known. Let's remove the idolatry of our religion and our self-reliance. Hear me. Let's baptize that altar with potential, and then saturate ourselves in a love for God that goes beyond just an experience on Sunday and watch the fire start falling. With nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, right now, your word has come forth. Your word is true. It's forever settled. It's without wavering. It's without fail. It's without... Confusion, it's without contradiction. Your word is unadulterated to you. But Lord, sometimes the truth pricks us in our heart and it hurts because all we know is the life that we've lived. So here's what I'm asking, Lord. Let your spirit usher in your unmitigated grace so that as we hear your truth, we hear perfect grace presented that says, hey, you may be in this situation, but regardless of where you are, my love and my mercy can reach you right where you are. God, breathe your voice into this place right now and begin to speak to every heart. Because God, we need to go beyond ourselves. Lord, we need to go beyond our understanding. We need to go beyond our pride. We need to go beyond our rebellion. We need to go beyond all of the weaknesses in our humanity, Lord. We need to go beyond us, God. Usher us into your presence. Take us deeper, Lord. Come on, right where you're sitting, just let God begin to touch you. The presence of God is in this house this morning. I'm going to ask nobody be moving around, nobody get up and leave. We're going to let you go here in just a second, but I believe that somebody's going to be making a choice. Don't hobble back and forth, wavering between two opinions. If the Lord is God, choose Him. If He's not, walk away. But if He's God, if His presence that you feel in this place right now is so real, choose the one who created you in His own likeness and in His own image.